1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12 is where we'll be this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 12, I sure do appreciate our orchestra. Uh, great job playing for us here today. And uh, it's great to see multi-generations uh, over here and assisting us in worship and suit, sure to appreciate their practice uh, to be prepared for that. 1 Samuel chapter 12, we're going to begin reading in verse number 6. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse number 6, the Bible says, And Samuel said unto the people, It is the Lord that advanced Moses and Aaron, and that brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore, stand still, that I may reason with you before the Lord of all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and to your fathers. When Jacob was come into Egypt, and your fathers cried unto the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, which brought forth your fathers out of Egypt, and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord their God, he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the host of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. And they cried unto the Lord, and said, We have sinned, because we have forsaken the Lord, and have served Balaam and Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies, and we will serve thee. And the Lord sent Jerubbabel, and Bedan, and Jephthah, Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and ye dwelled safe. And when ye saw that Nahash, the king of the children of Ammon, came against you, ye said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us. And the Lord your God was your king. Now therefore behold the king whom ye have chosen, and whom ye have desired, and behold, the Lord hath set a king over you. If ye will fear the Lord, and serve him, and obey his voice, and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. But if ye will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you, as it was against your fathers. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and thank you for the, the special nature of this service and for what we've already witnessed and heard. Lord, we ask that you would continue to uh, use your Holy Spirit to be active in our midst as we look into your word now. I pray that you'd give me the words that you'd have me to say and you'd help the folks that are here to apply what they hear to their lives. It's in Jesus' name that I ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. The very children-y message uh, I don't know if you noticed or not, but in this story, we read, not story, in this passage, we read several times of a reference to fathers, fathers, your fathers, as your fathers did. And uh, of course, every time you think about someone's father, then you think, oh, well, we must be talking to the children. And of course, we call the Israelites, the Hebrews, sometimes we call them the children of Israel. And uh, Samuel is here speaking to children about the inheritance that they have received, the inheritance of, uh, of a spiritual heritage uh, that sometimes they lived up to and sometimes they didn't. But he's challenging them here, and I'm excited to look at this with you. I want you to start. I understand we're starting the preaching time later than normal. Uh, I will uh, do my best to move 
through this passage without wasting any of your time. You say, well, it's not a waste of time. We're looking into the word of God. Yeah, but sometimes I ramble like I'm doing right now. And I'm committing to you right now that I'm not going to do it once I stop doing it right now. Uh, in verse number uh, six is where we started reading. We, we see that Samuel is back in the spotlight. Uh, we're in a series called Stand Still. Uh, we're looking at different instances of those words showing up in the scripture. And uh, Samuel said these words to Saul last week uh, in the passage that we looked at in chapter number nine. And so this time, instead of telling a young man named Saul to stand still, he's telling essentially the entire nation of Israel Stand still. When Samuel speaks here, he speaks of the righteous acts of God. He tells them to stand still so that he can rehearse with them all that God has done for their people, for their fathers in the past. One of the keys to raising children that follow God the way we try to follow God is to remind them of what God has done, to remind them of God's faithfulness in the past. And that's what he's talking about when he says the righteous acts of the Lord. Now, the term here for stand still is uh, kind of a, a judicial term. It's telling the uh, defendant to stand up and be quiet while the case is read against them. And so Samuel's trying to get the Israelites to stop for a moment and listen to some words that'll hopefully set them straight. Uh, one, one commentator said he's going to read them the riot act. Uh, did your parents ever say those words? Talk to you about that. I'm going to read you the riot act. Uh, you, you know what the riot act started out as, right? It, well, it was against riots. And the children of Israel have been a little riotous in their spiritual lives. They are dissatisfied with what God has given them. They're dissatisfied with their current situation. And so they've been stirring up controversy wherever they can, demanding that God would change their situation. And of course, if you were paying attention, you saw uh, pretty clearly what the problem was. It's that they wanted a king. The Israelites are dissatisfied because they want a king so they can be like every other nation around them. Now to address this, Samuel rehearses a bit of Israel's history uh, for them on that day. It's a very succinct and, uh, you know, 10,000-foot uh, 10, elevation view of their history. It's very short, uh, but he starts at Jacob and works to the present day. He starts with Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes, uh, in verse number 8, and he rehearses with them the moving of Jacob from Canaan to Egypt during the seven years of famine. I would really invite you to come back tonight. We're going to close out our study on the life of Isaac, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Jacob and uh, Isaac's uh, ending there. And so I, I hope you would come back and uh, be with us for that. But if you are familiar with the st story, you know Joseph uh, had been sold by his brothers. Uh, his, his, uh, his 10 brothers hated him because of his dreams, because of the favoritism that his father had shown him. So they'd sold him into slavery uh, and he was taken to Egypt. But we know that what man meant for evil, God meant for good. And God was at work in the history of the children of Israel all the way back to uh, their founding uh, with Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And so God had used Joseph to save much people alive. And uh, so Jacob moves there. He's there with his family. But over a period of time, something happens. A Pharaoh comes to 
rule who didn't know of Joseph's contributions. All he knew was he had a large group of immigrants that were growing stronger by the day, and so he sought to oppress them and to slow down their growth. And so he enslaved the Hebrews for uh, approximately 400 years. We know the story of Moses and all that went on there. You've seen the Charlton Heston movie, The Ten Commandments, or the animated movie, The Prince of Egypt. So you're familiar with what happened there. The people are crying out to God because of the oppression that they're living under, and God responds and establishes a pattern in his relationship. He responds by sending them a deliverer. Now, if you look back in the Bible in verse number 8, uh, and then also in verse number six, uh, you'll see that what Samuel's trying to do is he's trying to remind them that when their parents were in peril, God sent a deliverer. He sent Moses and Aaron to deliver them from slavery. The people had not chosen Moses. God had chosen Moses. God had equipped Moses and God had sent Moses. And this is the first history lesson that Samuel shares that establishes a pattern that the people need to remember. Anytime that they had cried out to God for help, God had sent them help. Uh, I remember growing up, my, my little brother, uh, Joseph, he liked, he liked Clifford the Big, Big Red Dog. And at that time, there was a, a TV show on PBS, and we didn't have cable, so all we watched was PBS. Uh, and, and so Clifford was what we watched. You know, you watch Arthur, Magic School Bus, Clifford, all those things. Um, and so there was a little character in Clifford. Her name was Cleo, and she was a little poodle dog. And Cleo would always say these words. Hey, have I ever steered you wrong? Now, in the show, the answer to that was absolutely every time. But Samuel is here, and he's almost saying, I hope this doesn't sound disrespectful, he's almost saying, hey, has God ever steered you wrong? Has God ever abandoned you people? You stiff-necked, rebellious people, has God ever abandoned you? Well, in the case of Moses and Aaron, the answer is no. When they cried out, he answered. And he sent a deliverer to bring them to the promised land. But this wasn't the only piece of the pattern. This isn't the only time that this happened. Samuel goes on and reminds them of the second piece of the pattern, and it was this, that any time God delivered the people, any time God gave them what they were asking for, it was only a matter of time before the people forgot and turned against God. You see this in verse number 9, starts off by saying, after the Lord had sent Moses and Aaron, verse number 9, the people, when they forgot the Lord, their God. You see, you know the story. Children of Israel get into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, cities that they didn't have to build, vineyards they didn't have to plant, uh, just everything they could possibly need. God had blessed them with it, and they rewarded him by going and worshiping Balaam and Ashtaroth. The sad story of the people of Israel. And this instituted a cycle in their lives, and this leads to the second lesson from their history that Samuel alludes to. It's a lesson that God's prophets and preachers have been referring to ever since, you know it, as the book of Judges. Man, what a frustrating book. I mean, there's some really cool stories in there. I mean, a, a guy killing hundreds of people with an ox goad. 
is is awesome. The the left-handed uh, judge that stabs a man in the belly while he's going to the bathroom, and the dirt came out. Okay, y'all are more mature than my typical audience. Junior hires will laugh their heads off about that one. I mean, the, the stories of the judges are, are really exciting and adventurous, but they're also very sad because Israel continually showed a propensity to respond to God, bringing them to the promised land and delivering them by entering into a crazy cycle of sin. You know the story, how they would sin. God would send an oppressor. They would cry out to God for forgiveness. God would send a deliverer. Over and over and over again, this cycle played out. The children of Israel, according to uh, verse number, uh, verse number, uh, let's see, uh, nine and ten and, and, and eight, even uh, they compromised their faith. They turned to false gods, the same false gods of the people that God had just defeated during the conquest. Over and over through the book of Judges, God would raise up deliverers to respond to the people's cries. You have names like Jerubbabel. Jephthah, Samuel, and then there's that one, Bedan. Anybody familiar with Bedan? He's not mentioned anywhere else. Most people believe it's another name for Barak, who went against Sisera, but uh, Bedan just is an interesting name, I thought I'd say it. It's kind of fun to say, you should say it. See, you're you're with me, all right. These men were used to deliver the people from enemies like Sisera, the Philistines, and Moab. And I want you to look for a second with me in verse number 11 at the very end. After all this cycle of oppression and deliverance, what does Samuel say about their condition in the land? He says, ye dwelled safe. Dwelled safe. At this point, are the children of Israel enslaved to Egypt? Nope. God delivered them from that. At this point, are they serving the Philistines or are they serving Moab? No. God's delivered them from all that. But there is a new threat on the horizon. Nahash, the king of the Ammonites. He hasn't yet technically attacked Israel. He's really more threatening Israel, but it's making them all nervous. And it doesn't matter that God had proven his power over all the other peoples of the land, even over the world superpower of Egypt. Ammon comes, whose name means serpent, And the children of Israel are shaking their boots. They're worried that this time will be different. This time, God's not going to deliver us the way he did in the past. And so rather than responding to their history with gratitude and trust in the face of this latest threat, the Israelites demand a king. This request was a disappointing act of hostility against God. Samuel reminds them that they had a king. God was their king. They had a theocracy. Not like a supposed theocracy like we've seen try to pop up in our world. They had a real theocracy where God was leading and protecting and providing for his people. And they said, we don't want it. See, here is a generation that had grown up whose fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers had seen God work and prove himself faithful and true, over and over and over again. And yet there's always that danger, isn't there, that the next generation 
won't catch what the last generation had. God had been a faithful, righteous ruler over the people. He had never failed them. He had been gracious to them, and yet they were rejecting his reign. They were rejecting his authority over them. And God gave them what they wanted. He granted their request to have a human king. He selected the man that would fill that role. We looked at him last week, Saul. God had chosen a king for them. Just as he had chosen their past leaders. Now, the people are looking around saying, this is great. We are finally going to be like everyone else. I've told you this before. I grew up uh, being homeschooled. And uh, ev- man, everywhere I went, if I was on the baseball team, on the city league, or I was working a job, people were asking me, why are you homeschooled? Well, I'm not the parent, so I really can't give you, you know, <laughs> what my, for my parents are thinking about this. And so I would, I would try to tell them, oh, this is why we're homeschooled, because blah, 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 and blah, 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 and it's all my brother's fault. Being like everybody else isn't all it's cracked up to be, is it? The children of Israel think, oh, there's a new dynamic in Israel. We're going to have a king. Uh, We're going to be just like everyone else. We're going to be able to have riches, and we're going to be able to conquer everybody because now we have a king. Samuel has some thoughts for them to consider, and it's really going to show that things aren't as different as they were before. Samuel reminds Israel that their relationship and responsibility to God will continue as it has in the past. The arrival of a king in Israel doesn't change their responsibility to God. How many of you remember when you transitioned out of your parents' home? Do you remember those days? It was weird for me. I feel like I missed out on some of that because I went from my parents' house to Bible college and If there's anything Bible college is known for, it's just freedom and just the ability to do whatever you want. Not really. A lot of young adults go through that time where they're out from under mom and dad's rules and they can finally make their own decisions. Blah, 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 blah. That's kind of how the children of Israel are right here. They think, no, we got a king, we're free. But Samuel says, no. Just because the dynamic is changing doesn't mean that you are now exempt from your responsibility to God. I mean, it doesn't matter what uh, young adults or older adults think. Just because you're no longer living at home with mom and dad who drug you to church all the time, it doesn't mean that your responsibility and your relationship to God is just null and void. Your location of living did not change the power of Almighty God. The sovereignty of Almighty God is not damaged by the fact that you don't live at home anymore. But how many times do we see children uh, that grow up and just turn their backs on God at this point? The people may have felt like they had flexed their muscles a little bit, but we all need to remember that God is never surprised by what happened. And the second thing we need to remember is, God never forsakes his people. Samuel's point in these verses is to speak a word of grace and warning at the same time. The word of grace communicates the goodness of God despite the hostility of the people. He says in verse number um, 
of 14, he says, If ye will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel. Pause for a second. They've already rebelled. Okay, they've already rebelled, but you should check this out. If you do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. Why didn't he remind them of all the times God had delivered them and helped them in the past? Because God was saying to them, listen, you may have forgotten me. You may have worshiped other gods. You may have demanded a king. But if you will turn back to me and you will follow me, then I'll be with you. There's nothing that we can do as God's people that would make him disown us. The children of Israel and all their ups and downs ought to be proof of that and not. How much more for those of us that are indwelt with the Holy Spirit? He says, God will be with you. But, you know, there's also a word of warning here, which communicates the continued responsibility to God. He says in verse number 15, But if ye will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your fathers. God had risen up deliverers for their fathers, but God had also judged their fathers. You think of the wilderness wandering. They get to the, the gates, so to speak, of the promised land, and they say, it's too, too hard for us. We can't go in. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes. We'll all die. And God says, all right, go back into the wilderness for 40 years. He judged them for their lack of faith. They get into the promised land under uh, Joshua, and they turn to Balaam and Ashtaroth, and God says, I'm going to send oppressors. Here come the Philistines. Here come the Moabites. They're going to oppress you because of your disobedience. Samuel says, look, guys, the same is true today. If we'll follow God, he will be with us, even with our king. But if we turn our backs on God, if we disobey God, then his hand will be against us as it was against our fathers. Now, just one other thing I want to point out to you. God is infinite, right? God is so multifaceted, we can't even comprehend all of the different features of God. God, even in this warning of judgment, has built into it a promise of mercy. This is incredible. I want you to look back at this. He says, uh, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your fathers. You say, well, that doesn't sound very merciful. I don't know what you're talking about, Brother Gary. Think about this. Their fathers rebelled against him. Did he disown them? No. Their fathers worshipped other gods. Did he just obliterate them? No. God was never and still is not done with the people of Israel. Right? The child of God, the, the Christian today that disobeys God and lives against God or, and even uh, rebels against their heavenly father, God might uh, judge them. He may discipline them as a child. But he never stops loving them. He never stops being their father. And the moment that child turns back to God, he's there as that father was waiting for the prodigal son to receive them again. You see, even there, even in that warning, there is a, 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 a taste of mercy. All that was needed was for the people to repent and serve God. A king would not change God's faithfulness to Israel. The people had gotten caught up in the press of their culture. But Samuel here is challenging them to stand still for a moment and remember. Remember what God has done for you in the past. 
Remember how God interacted with your parents in the past. Avoid their mistakes. Trust in their God. You see, the human in charge doesn't change who God is. God judges sin and blesses obedience. And God will never forsake his people. He is faithful. All Christians need to be reminded of God's faithfulness. You're sitting, so I won't say stand up, but just sit still for a minute and think about the faithfulness of God in your life. We have children in our church that need to be taught about God's faithfulness. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, that's why we have Sunday school and junior church. That's why we have Awanas on Wednesday night, why we take our kids to camp. We want them to learn about the faithfulness and the goodness of our God. We want to see our kids turn to him uh, when they're in need. We want to see our kids have confidence uh, in God. And, and we also want to see them have the right fear and respect of God. But how will they learn these things if they don't have parents that are convinced of them? How will our kids learn to appreciate the faithfulness of God if we as their parents don't show appreciation for the faithfulness of our God? If we want our kids to trust God, we must trust him first. And this must go beyond words, as we learned last week. It must be seen in our actions. If you're here today, and your past is filled with spiritual regrets or failures, as a Christian, you can be confident God has not abandoned you. The conditions in your world change. You can be confident that God will still bless your obedience. Isn't the world discouraging sometimes? I read a thing recently that said, it, just since the 90s, we have seen our, our society largely go from a pro-Christianity, neutral Christianity, against Christianity dynamic. And it's happened very, very fast. I sympathize with those of you that are older than me because I grew up in that transition. I was oblivious to most of it My you know, growing up. This is just the way it is. But some of you have been adults through that and you've seen it more clearly than others. You know, it doesn't matter how far society and culture gets away from God. It doesn't change the fact that God will bless his people when they're obedient to him. Every follower of God needs to remember the words that Jesus reiterated in the New Testament. What did he say? I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. God's faithfulness has not changed since Samuel told the people to stand still. He is still just as faithful today as he's ever been. And these are the things that we want to pass on to our children. But how can we pass on that which we do not possess ourselves? This morning, are you convinced of the faithfulness of God? This morning, are you convinced that it still pays to be obedient rather than disobedient to God? If you're convinced of his faithfulness, let me ask you this question. Have you trusted him with the number one most valuable thing that you have? your soul. This morning, do you know for a fact that you are a Christian on your way to heaven, that your sins have been forgiven by what Jesus did for us on the cross? He died to pay the price for our sins. If you've never made that decision to trust him, we would invite you to make that decision today. But if you are a believer, what are you doing for yourself and for the future generations that convinces you that God is faithful? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, 
We thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity we have to look into your word, to spend time together. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our hearts today. Lord, that if there's a decision that needs to be made for you, whether it be salvation or baptism or a membership decision, whatever it may be, would you work in our hearts? Maybe there are some here that say, you know what? I need to do, take a more concentrated effort in communicating the faithfulness of God, not only to myself, but also to my children. Lord, I pray that you would be at work here this morning, that our families would be strengthened, our children would be better off for us being here today. It's in Jesus' name that I ask these things. Amen.